Welcome to the Gingsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a sec and download the Gingsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Gingsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step with your journey with Jesus. Hi there. I uh, woke up at five o'clock yesterday morning, which was super awesome. And I decided I, I need more sleep than that. And I went back to sleep for another 20 minutes, not super helpful, uh, but just enough time for me to have a nightmare that um, I got up here to preach and I was completely unprepared. So I should have just stayed up the first time, but hopefully uh, that was not a prophetic vision of some sort. Um, my name is Fitz. I'm one of the pastors here at Kingsburg Church. Thrilled to be with you. Uh, we're gonna start today with a little word association. Okay, I'm gonna say a word, and normally I'd say, tell me the first word that comes to your mind, uh, but you people seem like an unruly bunch, so just keep it to yourself, okay? Uh, just like internalize that voice, okay? Uh, but here is the word, just think about what's the first word, the first image, whatever that comes to your mind when you hear the word religion. Religion. A couple of weeks ago, in preparation for this message, I uh, put this very question on Facebook, and I asked people, what, what comes to your mind when you hear the word religion? And here are some of the responses, and maybe it's similar to what is going on in your mind right now. Rules, judgment, Pharisees, control, Rationale behind numerous wars and conquests. Hypocrisy. Someone trying to pull something over on me. And for those of you who are children of the 90s, the band R.E.M. <laughs> Feels a little weird, almost offensive. Because many of you in this room and joining us online would say, I am a Christian, and uh, Christianity is what? It's a religion. And you know how I know. Every time I fill out a demographic survey, I get past the, the age and the gender and the, and, the, and the race, and then it asks me, religion. And what do I put? Christian so it's a, it's a religion, but somehow people outside the church and people inside the church, especially people inside the church, have gotten a really negative connotation with the word religion. Why is that? I, I think part of it might go back about 50 years, maybe a little bit longer than that, this, this dichotomy that's developed over the past several decades. It was uh, popularized by Billy Graham. I'm not criticizing Billy Graham in any way, shape, or form, uh, but I think he popularized this dichotomy in his book, The Jesus, Jesus Generation, when he wrote, consider the novel thought that Christianity was not so much a religion as a relationship with a person. And, and many of you today would say, ah, oh, it's not a religion for me, it's more of a relationship. But what happened that made us feel the need to distance ourselves from the word religion and embrace something else, embrace relationship? Well, I want to suggest to you that maybe, just maybe, it's because we were doing religion wrong. 
I want to take you to one verse in the book of James. Only one verse we're going to get through today, and we're not even going to get through everything that's in that verse. Now, most scholars would say the book of James, the letter of James, was written by the half-brother of Jesus. There were a lot of people named James at that time, very popular name. But most experts say it was probably the half-brother of Jesus, and part of their rationale is because there are a lot of callbacks in the book of James to the Sermon on the Mount. There's a lot of similarities. I'm not going to get into examples, but I encourage you, go back, read the Sermon on the Mount, then read the letter of James, and you'll see a lot of those similarities. Now, imagine being James. He was probably one of the most difficult people to convince that Jesus was the Messiah because he grew up with him. He smelled his morning breath. He saw his bedhead. He saw Jesus with acne. He's like, him? He's, he's the savior of the world. Eh, I don't know. But something happened that convinced him. And now he's writing this letter. And it's a general, it's what's considered a general letter. Many of Paul's writings, Paul wrote a number of letters in the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, uh, and the like. And his were very specific in nature. It was to a very specific group of people, the Philippians, about a very specific topic, a very specific challenge that they were wrestling with. James' letter is different than that. James is a general epistle, which basically means if you're a follower of Jesus, the things that I'm going to say to you in this letter right now apply to you. And if we fast forward that letter 2,000 years, I believe that we can still take the words and the thoughts that James put in this letter and apply it to our lives today. One commentator wrote, there is nothing in the epistle of James that is not thoroughly applicable and relevant to today. So really, the reason for James' writing is to show what life lived according to God's law looks like. He's writing to people who should know the basics of Christianity like most of us here today, but he's saying, okay, you know the right stuff. Now here's what it looks like. You have the orthodoxy, the, the right beliefs, but here's the orthopraxis. Here's how it plays out in your life. And so we come to the last verse in the first chapter, and James begins by saying, religion that God our Father accepts. Pause. We're going to pause right there. It, it, it's interesting, because some of you might find this kind of surprising, because when we were talking about religion, you probably had some negative thoughts in your mind. Many of my friends on Facebook had negative thoughts, and it might be surprising to hear James say that any form of religion, God accepts. Now, I think there, there was good meaning, there's good uh, motivation behind using the term relationship instead of religion, but if it elevates that relationship, it elevates that one relationship between me and Jesus, and what it does is it makes all of the other relationships secondary, not as important. What I do for others, that's not as important because it's about me and Jesus. But there's an and there, isn't there? I mean, Jesus said the most important commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but he didn't stop there. He said there's another one just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. 
If it's only about my relationship with Jesus, we're neglecting a huge aspect of that relationship, and that is our care for others. Let's go back to the verse. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Pause there. I want to do another crowdsource. Uh, I'm going to say another word, another word association. Again, just keep it to yourself in inside voice, okay? But here's the word, pure. Pure. Did this on Facebook, too, and some of the responses were fresh snow. Children laughing or shrieking. Waves, the forest, a newborn baby, like the smell of their head, right? Not the other side. Right. <laughs> and grits with salt. That was from our worship director, Chris Wingfield. Anyway. So it seems like James is saying that religion by itself is neither good, bad, nor indifferent. But there is a way that religion can be pure, that it can be pristine, that it can be flawless. And what does that look like? Well, James tells us. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world there's a lot in that verse. We could do a whole message series on this one verse. I want to focus on one aspect of it, to look after orphans in their distress. Uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright paraphrases this passage in this way. He, sa he says, talking about James, in effect, all right, you want to follow in God's way? Here's how. There are people out there who need your help and there's a messy world out there that will try and mess up your life as well, make sure you focus on the first and avoid the second. You want to follow God? Okay, great. Take care of the people in the world that need help. That's what it looks like. That's what following God looks like. I mentioned that James harkens back to the teachings of Jesus, and this is one of those examples and one of his most famous teachings. He says, people who follow God, you know what they do? They feed the hungry. They give those who are thirsty something to drink. They clothe the naked. They visit those who are in prison Taking care of people who are in need is a calling card for anyone whose life has been transformed by the love of Jesus. And who is in more need of help than a child? A child whose body is not yet fully developed. Whose brain is not yet fully developed. Who has all these emotions and thoughts in, that they're trying to process and trying to figure out. 
And, and that's part of our job, those of us who call ourselves parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles, guardians. That's part of our job is to help them develop and to help them grow in those ways and to help to make sense of those emotions and those thoughts. And when that person or those people aren't there or not a healthy, safe person to be in that child's life, it sets that child's back and it makes them even more vulnerable than they already are. So James is saying in Jesus before him that if you want to do religion the right way, if you want to do religion the pure way, part of that looks like caring for the vulnerable child in your midst. Now Jesus, he was the kind of person that would take the teachings of what everyone knew about God and kind of transform them, push the envelope. And this, this is not necessarily one of those examples because this was not a new teaching for Jesus or for James. This heart of God for the vulnerable child goes all the way back to the beginning. If we rewind all the way back to Deuteronomy, which is the second giving of the law, which is exactly what Deuteronomy means, the second giving of the law, they had to do it again because Moses had a temper tantrum and threw the tablets down. Let's start over, Moses. But in the second giving, we read, every third year you must bring the tenth part of your produce from that year and leave it at your city gates. We've been talking about that the past several weeks. Then the Levites, who have no designated inheritance like you do, along with the immigrants, here it is, orphans and widows who live in your cities will come and feast until they are full. Do this so that the Lord your God might bless you in everything you do. This was 700 years before Jesus walked on earth in human form. This form of religion, pure religion, flows from the heart of God that cares desperately for the vulnerable child. And if we say we follow Jesus, that same heart of God needs to be in us as well. So why are we talking about it today? Well, today is a day that is, it goes by several names. Uh, Orphan Sunday, Stand Sunday. Uh, there's a new one that, that's sort of the umbrella over all of them. It's called Pure Religion Sunday. In 2002, there was a, an American pastor who was visiting a church in Zambia. And at this church, that, that pastor there in Zambia gave an impassioned plea to his congregants to care for the orphans in their country because AIDS and poverty had ravaged the nation. And after he gave this impassioned plea, people came forward and they gave out of their need, like the, like the widow bringing her two small coins to the temple treasury. They gave out of their need. They offered food. They even, they even took off their shoes and put them in the offering basket to give to orphans. And that was the first, what's now known as Orphan Sunday. And, and Gary Schneider, that American pastor, he worked with pastors in Zambia and started coordinating efforts. And he started communicating with pastors and community leaders in the United States. And today, it's a day that's recognized in 100, over 100 countries worldwide. Now, two years after that, at a small church in Texas, a pastor prepared all week to give his message, but when he got up to preach, he saw the image of his kids at the breakfast table 
See, he was an adoptive and foster dad. And when he looked out, he just saw his son's faces multiplied in his congregation. And he knew that God was calling his people and him to do something to care for these vulnerable kids and broken families. So without explanation, he, he stood up and he pointed out that there were 30,000 kids in the foster care system in Texas and over half a million in the United States. And, and with that, he asked a simple question. He didn't expect anyone to respond, but he asked, who will stand with me to defend, care, and support abused, abandoned, and neglected children in our community? And as he stood there, a woman stood up in the back of the congregation of this small church and said, Pastor, I will. And the pastor stood there in amazement as family after family after family stood up and committed to caring for kids in the foster care system. And as a result, that church and their surrounding community has cared for and adopted hundreds of children. And now in that county, there are too many foster families for the number of kids in the foster care system. And that was how Stand Sunday got started. And now it's Pure Religion Sunday. Why Pure Religion Sunday? Well, I believe that every person who calls himself a follower of Jesus is called to care for the vulnerable in some way, shape, or form. That call is different on everybody. Some might be called to care for orphans through adoption. Some might be called to care for kids and families in the foster care system. Others yet may be called to support those who are involved in a more hands-on way. Regardless, we are all called to live a life of pure religion, of caring for orphans, of caring for vulnerable children in their distress. One person who's doing that and has done that is a friend of mine. She's been a long a uh, longtime Gingensburg member. She's a member of our leadership board, and she's a foster mom. Her name's Carly, and here's her story. My cousin Emily became a foster parent. I would say, what's the hard part? Like, what do you need? How can we help? And she would always come back and say, I just need an extra set of hands. Like, I need somebody to babysit, because at the time, you had to be licensed, a licensed foster parent or immediate family to be able to babysit. So I wouldn't be able to babysit for her. And she just needed time off. She wanted to go to events, you know, without having to worry about childcare um, or paying for childcare. And I said, I can be your babysitter. I can go get licensed. Within about six weeks, I filled out the packet, background checked, all of that fun stuff, and started my classes. While I was in the classes, the state of Ohio changed their rules. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do now? And then I got a call. We ended up saying yes to an infant boy. And he came home from the hospital uh, directly to our house. And we have had him since. It was completely haphazard. I got into it so I could help babysit. So I could be part of someone's village. God always has other plans, it seems like. And now I have a kiddo and then I rely on a village to help me. If I didn't have that village, I don't think that I, could, I couldn't do this. I mean, there are hard days, and I would say the hard days are, you know, going back and forth between two households, and he's confused, and we don't take that lightly. It's hard. It's hard to know that we parent differently, but love looks different. You know, the hard parts that we have, like the sleepless nights when I'm being 
woken up in the middle of the night, even though you know he's four, because his fears look different. Sometimes <laughs> you just have to take a deep breath and say, it's okay. Like I might just have to miss an appointment. I might just have to watch church from, from home, you know, because we didn't get enough sleep. There are numerous foster parents in our church. There are lots of foster parents around, but there are more children that need homes than we have families right now that are licensed to open up their doors. You know, if I have one, one hope or wish or prayer is that if you feel that call, that you, that you say yes. And whether that yes is, yes, I'll bring a meal. Uh, yes, I can babysit. Uh, yes, I wanna take the classes and get licensed. You know, I want you to say yes. I want you to get involved. It will break you. And then God will put you back together in a way that you could never imagine. And you will, you will change generations. Carly mentioned in that video that there aren't enough families. Uh, currently, there are over 14,000 kids in the foster care system in Ohio. Uh, but there are only 7,200 licensed families uh, to fill the need. Uh, it's a big gap. On top of that number, there are 3,500 children who are ready and waiting to be adopted. Lots of teenagers who just need a mom and dad. So the question I have for you today is, how will pure religion play out in your life? What will caring for vulnerable children look like for you and for your family? I could answer that question a number of different ways. I want to suggest to some of you are called to adopt or foster. Some of you, God is nudging to that. And some of you have been feeling it for a while. Some of you, this is a brand new feeling. But some of you are being nudged in that direction to take this bold step. I remember the first time we adopted. <laughs> My wife and I were um, out celebrating our anniversary. And she started crying, which is a super fun way to celebrate an anniversary. Uh, but she said through tears, I think we're supposed to adopt. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just trying to enjoy my prime rib here. <laughs> um, I didn't think that. Uh, just being dumb. Uh, but you know what I said? I said, okay. It was one of the easiest yeses I've ever given. And you know why that is? It's not because I'm super spiritual, because those of you who know me know that ain't it. It was because I couldn't come up with a good reason why we wouldn't. I could come up with lots of reasons. Money, time, energy, but none of them seemed to be good reasons. And so we did. The second time was harder to get into that because we realized, as Carly said in the video, it's hard it was hard. We knew the difficulties that came with it now. But you know what? While it's one of the hardest things our family has ever done, it's also one of the best. 
And if we hadn't said yes, I wouldn't have these, these rugrats in my life. Ah, oh, I can't imagine life without them. So maybe you're thinking it's too hard. Like, God's not calling me to this. It's just, it's just too difficult. Uh, I heard uh, Katie Davis, uh, she, when she was a high schooler, she did a mission trip in Uganda, and then uh, she moved to Uganda after her senior year. And uh, in time, she adopted 13 girls. Okay, so you think it, you have a hard time getting in the bathroom in the morning. Um, she adopted 13 girls there in Uganda. And she was at a conference I was at with like 13,000 pastors. And they were interviewing her. And they, they said, there's a pastor here who's considering adoption. They're on the fence. What would you say to them? And she said, pray and seek God. I don't think he'll say no. Like the ultimate mic drop moments. Just because it's hard doesn't mean God is not calling you to it. As a matter of fact, that might be a really good indicator that God is calling you into it because if it was easy, you wouldn't need him. You wouldn't need him. But second, give. Give. Give is the second way that you can be involved. Well, I believe that caring for vulnerable children is not optional for those who follow Jesus. I also believe that not everybody is called to adopt. Not everybody is called to foster. What then? So I want you to imagine that you are a child who has had to be removed from their home for a reason, uh, presumably a good reason. Now, regardless of how difficult your home life has been, imagine how hard that transition would be. Everything is changing. Isaiah 117 is the organization, we've been talking about it already, that recognizes the trauma that comes when a child enters the foster care system. That transition from being in their home to entering foster care can be one of the hardest moments of their lives. And oftentimes, that child has to sit and sometimes sleep in an office somewhere while their home is identified and while paperwork is processed. And Isaiah 117 is, re, is trying to reduce that trauma by building a transition home like the one you see on the screen right now. When a child is removed from their home, instead of going to an office, they will, they will go to this home while the social worker takes care of all the necessary paperwork. And while there, volunteers will love that child, will cook for that child, will play with that child, We'll make sure that child has everything they need. So just imagine if on one of the most difficult moments of a child's life, instead of being met with a sterile office, they are met with that kind of tangible love. What kind of difference could that make? So we've partnered with them a few times already. We hosted, many of you hosted lemonade stands in August. Uh, we sponsored a golf foursome for their golf tournament. And I am just so excited that they're going to be a part of our Christmas miracle offering this year. We've already said the first 200000 that we collect on Christmas Eve will go to our 501c3 partners. New Path, New Creation, Counseling, and uh, Clubhouse. But anything above and beyond we're going to give to Isaiah 117 to help achieve their vision of building this home to care for vulnerable children. And so I'm asking you, come on Christmas Eve and be generous. Let's help them build this house. Yeah.
before you leave today, stop at their table in the lobby. It's right around there to the right. Sign up for their email list, grab a bracelet, grab some information, make sure you visit them. You know, we often say around here that uh, we aren't about playing church. You know, if we were, we would just be about religion, but we don't want to be about just religion. We want to be about pure religion, and at least part of that, part of that religion that's acceptable to God means for caring for vulnerable children. And it's a big task. I get it. 14,000, that's a big number. 3,500, that's a big number. It is overwhelming. Well-known pastor Andy Stanley once said, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. So what if instead of seeing the thousands of vulnerable children who need our help and being overwhelmed by it, what if you could look into the eyes of just one of them? Just one. And see how desperately they needed a home and love and care. If you could look just one in the eye, what would you do then? What will you do now? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the call on our lives to care for those who need help. But it's big and it's overwhelming and it's just, it's just easier to turn a blind eye but the reality is out there, the pain is out there, the need is out there, and so break our hearts today with your heart that I know is, is broken for these children who are hurting, who need our help. So God, I pray from this congregation, those who are joining us online, that you would raise up adoptive parents, that you would raise up foster parents, that you would raise up tribes to come around those who are going through adoption in foster care, that you would raise up generous donors who give to the Christmas miracle offering to help Isaiah 117. God, make us a church that is known for loving and caring for the vulnerable child. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you would like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Gingosburg app or online at gingosburg.org.